Hi, this is Robert Furl, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe rightly dividing the Word of Truth. If you're joining us here for the first time, really glad that you're here. We hope you are blessed by the time you have here. If you have any questions about the Bible, about our relationship with Christ, what it means to genuinely be saved, or something that you've heard on a study, either one of our studies or somewhere else, then you feel free to write in the comments section the word question or a cue, and then put the question down, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense and it says what you want it to say, and then put the reference down. We'll be able to look up the references. For the first question today, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. I want to take the next few weeks and look at Ephesians and get our first question from this book, kind of a mini study through the book of Ephesians together. And the first question that we have is, who is the book of Ephesians addressed to? especially chapter 1. This is really important for the promises and statements that follow. Because if it's addressed to people in general, then it changes the entire meaning of the first chapter. So I want to go ahead and put the scripture up here for you. This is Ephesians chapter 1, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Of course, this is Paul who was the enemy of the gospel. He vehemently attacked the gospel when it was first began to be preached in Jerusalem. He compelled Christians to blaspheme. Can you imagine that? What it would take to compel you to blaspheme God? We don't, can't even imagine. We're not even told how he compelled them to be able to do that. Whereas, was it beatings? Was it threats? What was it? But then he had an experience on the Emmaus Road, and he became a Christian. And not only did he become a Christian, but he became a leader about a decade after his salvation in the church and went out and founded the church at Ephesus, which was one of the larger churches. It was one of the larger cities. Uh, it was a significant work that was done. It says, to the saints who were in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. Now, this is who the letter is addressed to. It's addressed to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ. Who are the faithful? Those are those that have put their trust in Jesus. Those are the ones who have said, I believe in him. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's connected to the word for faithful here. So when you trust in him, when you believe what he said, the Bible says, call out on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So faith is the way that you are saved. So the letter to Ephesus is written to Christians. And then right away, he gets into some pretty amazing promises that he gives these Christians. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace is undeserved favor. You can't do anything for grace. It's God giving you grace. Justice is when you get what you deserve, like you committed a crime, and you get what you deserve. That's justice or a judge finds in your favor when that's the right thing to do. Mercy is when you've done something wrong and you deserve to be punished, but you're shown mercy and have a lighter punishment or lack punishment. But he says grace to you, which we know again, we are saved by faith through grace. So when he says grace to you, he's connecting that, I believe, to salvation. 
grace and peace. And what do we get when we are saved? Well, times of refreshing come from the presence of God. We have the peace of God. We have peace from God. It says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, there's no mistaking there. It's to the faithful, to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful, and now those in Christ who he says, we wants to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When we are in Christ, we are living under a blessing. And this is so powerful. It's very important for us to understand that. We're living under a blessing. We're not under a curse. We're under the blessing of Christ. It says in verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Now, who is it who was chosen before the foundations of the world. The faithful. The faithful were chosen. Now, oftentimes people want to read into this what's not there when it says, um, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So they often read, chose us in the foundations of the world, um, choosing some to be saved and some to be lost, and um, without any reason, just choosing vessels of honor and dishonor. They want to add in something that's here, but it's not. The faithful, that is, those who believe have been chosen. And if God chooses to choose those who believe, but not to choose those who don't believe, then that's God's decision. And that's what Paul meant when he was talking about Israel, who was trying to live under the law to make things right with God, and God had rejected them. And and the Gentiles who believed by faith were receiving him, he said, who are you to say to God that he can't do it this way? That if God wants to make a vessel of honor or dishonor, the vessel of honor are those who believe and put their trust in Christ. The vessel of dishonor is the ones who do not put their trust in Christ. And so Christ chose us before the foundations of the world. That is, he chose those who would believe in him. What did he choose for us? That we should be holy, that our sins would be forgiven. And I believe that we should desire to walk even more holy before God, that the inner man is being renewed day by day and there should be a continued desire to be holy. And before him in love, that is God loves us. God loves you despite your failures, despite what you've done that's wrong. You can repent now. You can find new mercy every morning. And then it says, predestining us to adoption as sons. Who did he predestine? It doesn't say he predestined us to be sons, but predestined us to adoption as sons. Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, those who believe are predestined to the adoption of sons. Just like the Bible says that for um, all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his uh, purpose, that he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So here we're predestined as adoption of sons. Anyone who believes in him, anyone who would choose him, is conformed to the image of his son. God does the work inside of him, begins to change us and draw us to himself. And anyone who receives him here is adopted as a son of God. Let me give you another passage. This is James, excuse me, John 1.12. As many as receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. It's all right there. Those who believe in his name are a son of God. 
and you have to invite him in. You have to receive him. And if you've never received Jesus, you're watching this right now, or you're listening to this on our podcast, then invite him in. Sincerely, give your life to him. Tell him you want eternal life, that you no longer want to live for yourself, but you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus sent us out in the world to make disciples, and he will adopt you as a son. I am a son. Now, I, I don't always live up to being the son of God, but what an amazing thing to be a child of God, chosen by him. And you are, men and women are adopted as sons to be um, by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That is that those who would believe it was God's will that they would be saved to the praise and glory of his grace by which he has made us acceptable in the beloved. We are acceptable in the beloved when we believe in him. He gives us the power to become a son of God and we receive him. That's who Ephesians is written to. Now, oftentimes they want to make this generic, that it's written to those who were chosen by him before the foundations of the world. But that doesn't say that here. In fact, it says that nowhere. It says that we were chosen before the foundations of the world, but it's to the ones who believed and those who are faithful or those who are faithful in Jesus Christ. So uh, we'll make our way through the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. Uh, we might take an interruption with certain questions that we get as to the first questions that are there. Um, we have a first question uh, from V City. V City, good to have you joining us. V City said, "Why didn't God create people with the mind of the people in the new heaven and new earth initially, and still have free will, but there will be no sin there?" Thank you, sir. Thank you, V. I, I appreciate that. God wanted us to choose him. And so there had to be a real choice. And so God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, told them they couldn't eat of the tree that was in the garden. They chose to eat of the tree of good and knowledge. And that brought death into mankind. If God had created us in a new heaven and a new earth, then there would have been no choice for us to make. In fact, it's interesting, Satan, it says, wanted to be like God, and the temptation for Eve was that she could be like God. That was the same exact temptation. So God created the angels with certain things that they could desire so that pride could be found in them and they could fall as well. And so God wanted to create a world where people chose to have a real relationship with him. And, and think about this, V. Life is a gift. We've been given a gift by him to live. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not suffering and difficulties and hardships in this life, but God can use those for his own purposes. And if we choose to follow him, then we'll receive eternal life. And the heaven and the earth that you talk about that's coming, it's on its way, we'll be living in and there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. But we have to go through this life where there is pain, sorrow, and tears, where we do trust in him. Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are you who have seen, and um, he says, um, blessed are you because you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. Now, if God had just created us put us in an environment where we're going to follow him no matter what, then would that really be a choice for us to love him, to deny ourselves and to love him? If you could create, if you could, if you could create on your, on your computer a program that would love you. And whenever you turned on your computer, the program said, hello V, 
I love you. Would you feel like that was real, genuine love? But if you could create something that could make a choice to evaluate you and choose whether or not to love you, then there would be love in that. And that's exactly what God was doing. God created the world to give men a freedom of, of choice, which would be real love. If he made people love them, well, if, uh, if a woman has a guy that's pursuing her and he says, you're going to love me no matter what, I'm going to make you love me. What happens? That girl gets as far away from him as she possibly can. And so God didn't do that. God, out of love, created us, gave us the gift of life, which really and truly is a gift. And, and we are blessed in so many ways just to be alive. The sun falls on the, the sinful and the righteous. The rain falls on the sinful and the righteous. And we're blessed to be alive. And anyone who's been given that life is, is, is living a life that they can now follow and gain eternity. This is the way in which God has chosen for us to be able to make it into eternity. And think about this, V, that God's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth, which means that God doesn't do things the way we do them. And God says that. I don't do things the way a man does them. God does things differently. That's what the Bible declares. And so when we think, well, I think I would have created uh, a heaven and an earth and put man there and still given them choice. God had a desire to create the world that we're in where we could choose him over evil. And good is, well, evil is the absence of good. So that be then it becomes evil. It's like rust on a car. You take the rust out of a car and you've got a good car. You take the evil out of a person, you've got a good person. You take the car out of the rust and you've just got rust. You take God out of people and you've just got the evil that remains. And, and this is what C.S. Lewis meant when he talked about eternity apart from God. And he said that man is going to be tormented by his own sinful, hateful thoughts, hating God more and more until there's nothing left but a mind that is consumed by the hatred of God. And that's what C.S. Lewis, he didn't believe it was a literal hell. In fact, I don't think most theologians do. They believe it's the torment of the mind separated and apart from God. If you've ever been apart from God V, maybe you felt that loneliness or that pit in your stomach or knowing that something is wrong and you want to know him. And so he calls out to you that he loves you. And if you would call out upon his name, he'll forgive you of your sins. And if you're already a Christian, V, then you know that there's that desire to walk close to him. And when we make mistakes and we walk away from him, we have that real desire to draw back in and be close with him. All right. So thank you, V, for that. Um, I uh, will take a follow-up if you have a follow-up thought on that. Okay. So we have a question from Jari. Uh, that is put in here, I think, by Keith. Jari says, uh, Paul uses the verb, um, which I'm not sure what that is, when expressing the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. But in Ephesians, he uses the preposition in relation to the same fruit of the Spirit. So I don't know what that word is there. What does, why does he do this? I have no idea, Jari. I wish I did, um, but I don't have the references here. I, I can't take time while we're doing our study to look up these phrases. So, um, Ephesians uses preparation to relate to the same fruit of the Spirit. Um, and I'm not 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Paul uses this expression for the Spirit in Galatians. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, if you can re-ask your question, Jari, then please do. Give me the references to where he uses it. We can actually look up the Greek words and look up the differences and where the references are. Without the references, I, I wish I just did know Greek and Hebrew and knew exactly what those words are, but I don't know Greek and Hebrew. All right. Um, it's just not anything. Uh, I know certain Greek words, but I don't know those Greek words. Sorry, Jari. Thank you very much. So, Pokey has a question. Uh, Pokey says, in Mark 5, demon-possessed man had a legion of demons, okay? This is the Gadareans, a thousand or whatever. How many angels did God create that one man could be infested with so many and the rest of the demons elsewhere? Yeah, there, um, there's a number that talks about either angels or people being in front of God, I think it's angels, that is a hundred million singing. Um, whether that's a literal number of angels or not, I don't know. But that's enough for someone to be possessed by, by many. And a, th and a third of these angels, we believe that when, when Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from the sky, and Revelation says a third of the angels fell with, or a third of the stars fell with him, that he's re making reference to the angels that fell with him. And so we have two thirds that remain. We know that they are called the host of heaven. So there's a great number of them. We don't know if there's more of them than there are of humans. Uh, there's going to be billions of probably a couple, three, four, five, who knows how many billions of people that'll be in heaven, how many angels will there be? So I think that there's far more angels, um, pokey maybe, than what you're thinking about. Um, our God is so grand and so broad. Um, when you try to figure out how many people there have been on the earth since creation, usually you get the, the evolutionist point of view and they'll go back to 50,000 years ago saying that that was the first you know, human to, to evolve. And from there, there's been 117 billion on the earth. The vast majority of them have been around in the last thousand years because growth is just growing exponentially to where now we've got 8 billion and the number is just at this rapid pace of growing, over 8 billion now. So there's rapid pace of growing. Um, I think if you go back to the flood, you're going to get a significantly smaller number of people that have been alive on the earth, but it's still going to be in the billions of people. And how many of those billions are the few that have committed their lives to Christ? And um, 100 million angels um, would be um, a lot of angels, but nowhere near the number of people that are going to be saved and are going to make it into heaven or the number of people who have been created and on the earth already. So I um, unfortunately um, don't see that. Um, so V has a, another question or a follow-up. Let me take a look at that. So um, V says, uh, question, Revelation 21 sounds like Genesis 1 through 3 story. How can we be sure that no one will sin in the new heaven or repeat of a downfall of Satan, will people in heaven have free will? Um, that's a really good question. So God created the angels in glory with free will. God created us as good um, with the image of God on earth. In heaven, the angels in glory having free will 
turned away from God. And we know what pride happened. We know how it happened because the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah that pride filled his heart and he said, I will be like the Most High God. I will sit in my throne on the mountain of God or up on the, uh, on the north. And he, be, he thought he could become like God. That sin is deceptive. Pride is deceptive. And so he thought he could literally be like God. The, the crazy thing about sin is, is V, it's deceptive. The Bible says that we can be self-deceived, that sin is deceptive, and the devil's a deceiver. And the crazy thing about being deceived is you don't know when you're deceived. You're deceived. So you don't know when you're deceived. So we have to pray, God, help me not to be deceived. Help me to see things clearly and to understand what your word says in a clear way. And so the Satan was deceived by sin and fell. Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden. They too could see God. They too had a relationship with God. They didn't know evil. They only knew good, and they ate of the tree of good and evil, and now they were aware of evil, and being aware of evil, they were separated from the garden which had the tree of life in it, lest they eat of it and live forever. So you ask in your question, Revelation 21 sounds like Genesis 1 through 3, and it does. The there is a, it seems like when you're reading the first six verses in Genesis 1, that it's, it is a, a um, Revelation uh, 22, one. It seems like a recreation of the garden, maybe even an expansion, a recreation and a garden. Let me just read this really quick here. It says, and I show, and, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. So there were, there was uh, a river in the garden of Gethsemane. I mean, I mean, the garden of Eden, sorry. And Eden means place of paradise, um, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. So here it comes from the throne of God and the Lamb. God walk, walked in the middle of the garden. Uh, in the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life, and the tree of life was in the garden, both uh, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit for every month. Now we learn something new about the tree of life that yield different fruits for different months, and we can still eat them. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, I don't know if this were is here on purpose. Are the leaves for the healing of the nations at the time? Like, are we still divided into nations? Or was it that God's initial plan? And there shall be no more curse. Remember, the curse came after man fell. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, which we already saw, which is the key point. God will be there like he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his servant shall serve him, which is what we're going to be doing. And they shall see his face which is an amazing thing. We're going to know as we're known, which by the way means that we're going to know ourselves like we're known. Like right now we think we're, we're better than we are. And I think that God does a pretty good job of revealing our own sinfulness. But one day we will know as we are known and we're going to know God in a way that we've never understood him or known his name shall be on their foreheads, will literally belong to him. There shall be no more night there. And that makes sense because with God, perfect holiness and righteousness, there's no light uh, nor lamp of light of the sun for the Lord gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So obvious differences from the Garden of Gethsemane, but you're absolutely right, V, that it sounds a lot like the Garden of Gethsemane. 
All right, so thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for joining us. If you have a question, then you can write the word question down and then you can write out your question, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and add a reference to it. Um, we've come to um, already the end of our questions today. I don't see, I see Facebook. Yeah, well, I see, um, yeah, I see, I see one. No, I see a couple Facebook. Good to have you here, Carl. So if you have a question, uh, there's an opportunity to be able to ask it and to have it answered. So just go ahead and put your question down, write out your question, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and add your question. Now we have a service tonight and we're gonna be talking about the last words in the Bible. So we pick it up in verse seven of Revelation chapter 22, and we make our way all the way down to verse 21. And um, let's just take a look at the last, the very, very last words in the Bible, because I think that they tell us something that is very significant. Let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. And again, if you have a question, just go ahead and write the word question out write your question, and then submit it, and we'll get to it, all right? So this is the last verse of the Bible. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's what John writes at the very end. That's what God has for us at the very end. The free gift of God be given to you all. Amen. Now, when we think of the grace of God being given to us, we think again of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's go back there again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says, I'm going to put this back up, for by grace you have been saved. So at the end of the Bible, the grace of God be with you all, so be it, amen. And here, for by grace you have been saved. It takes God's grace in order to genuinely be saved. And so God at the end of the, the Bible is talking about our greatest call that you and I are to be praying for people around us, having a love for the lost, that we're here to shine as a light for him. I am afraid that we are neglecting the call that we have, that we become more concerned about ourselves and the lives that we're living, what's going on in us, than for the people around us, and yet we are here as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And God wants people to find the grace to be saved. And remember, one man plants and another man waters, and God adds the increase. So God is the one who's bringing people into the kingdom. But our prayers make a difference. The Bible says, you do not have because you do not ask. Do you really care about the people around you whose destiny is the lake of fire, according to the book of Revelation? And as harsh as that may sound, we need to have that heart for God. And may God give us a heart for those who are lost, who need to come to Christ. May God bring us into their lives. May God bring it into, into the church that I pastor, that as I give altar calls, people would respond and give their lives to Christ. This is the very end of the Bible. And it's what God wants. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not that we're going to have works, because we are. It's just that works can't save us. They are a result of actually um, being saved. All right. So we have a couple of questions here now. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the questions uh, that are there. Uh, we have um, a question from Susan. Susan says Matthew twenty four. One will be taken and another left. It speaks of the tares being bound up first also. 
could there um, could this be the same group? All right, so let's um, let's take a look at Matthew 24. Let me see if I can find the exact references <clears throat> that you're talking about. So Matthew 24 and Luke 17 are talking about the rapture of the church. There really is no other way to read it. Um, and let me go ahead. So Jesus goes through here and um, <clears throat> let's see if I can find this. Maybe I should just do a search to find the reference. Um, let me just go ahead and give you what it says. All right, you guys can check me out on it later on. All right. So in Matthew 24, Jesus says, so it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. They will marry, be given in marriage. So life is going to be going on as normal. And this is the return of Christ for his church. Um, because at the end of the tribulation period, not every, everybody's not going to be marrying and giving in marriage and going on like life is normal. If you go to the end of the tribulation period, there's great war on the earth. There's been great destruction on the earth and people are hiding and, there's, and flesh is rare by the end of the tribulation period. So it has to be a time when people are marrying, giving in marriage. They're just going on with life as normal. Same thing in Luke 17 when he talks about um, it will be as in the days of Lot. Until Lot left the city and here until Noah is taken away, went into the ark, and then the final destruction came and wiped them away. And it wasn't until Noah actually got into the ark that that happened. And then Jesus goes on to say, two will be in the field, one will be taken and another left. Two men will be in bed, one will be taken and another left. I think that's that's in uh, Luke 17. Two women will be grinding corn, one will be taken and another one left. And so Paul used, uh, Pastor Chuck used to talk about the global influence here. But you have a time on the earth when one person is taken and another one is left. Now you go to John the Baptist, I think it was John the Baptist, who talked about the chaff being collected and burned and the, the grain being put into the barn. So people now take that parable of chaff and wheat being put into the barn and being burned, and they say, therefore, the ones who are taken are the ones who are burned, because burned comes first before being put into the barn. But again, you're talking about a parable. Remember, when his people are taken up into heaven, they're not in the new heavens or the new earth yet. They're still going to have the millennium. We could say they're put in the barn in the new Jerusalem. That's where we're going to be. That's where we'll be forever. But we've got a while. We've got to be in heaven during the tribulation period. We've got to uh, go through the millennium period where we are ruling and reigning with Christ. And then we'll rule and reign with him in eternity as well, which the Bible declares. So you, it's, it's not a good argument to take a parable and to try to say the, 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 we, the chaff is burnt first and then the rest is gathered into a barn to say that the ones who were taken up out of the earth were, were the wicked. Find another place where the wicked are taken up out of the way. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep, and by sleep he means die. But some of us are going to be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And this corruption is going to put on incorruption, and this mortal is going to put on immortality. And so there's a mystery 
that's out there. No wonder so many people have trouble with this. It's actually a mystery that is there. And in that mystery, some are going to be changed in a moment and a, and a twinkling of an eye. And, um, and so, at that point, it's a resurrection. So, what do you do with the living? When, the, when, when there's a resurrection, then there's the living that go with them. And we see this clearer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And every once in a while, I see people who say that there is no rapture in the church. And I always like to, I don't ever see them dealing with what they think this is, okay? But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. So notice Paul talked about a mystery. Now we're not to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Same as Paul. Fallen asleep means die lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he's the first fruits of resurrection, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who have died in Jesus are going to come with them. Now, they're not soul sleeping. To be absent from the Lord and be absent from this world is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, I'm between, between uh, a rock and a hard place. I'm paraphrasing. I, I to stay with you, which is better for you, or to go be with Jesus, which is better for me. So Paul didn't think he was going to go sleep in heaven. He knew that he was going to go be in the presence of the Lord. For thus we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. But the Lord will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the resurrection. Their bodies will rise and meet him in the air, and their souls will be in their bodies again. And that's what Paul said, when those who are alive and remain will be caught up. Not everybody's going to sleep, but some are going to be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. Those are verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, uh, this is to be a comfort. It's not a comfort to say that this happens, you know, you're, you're going to go through the tribulation period, and then this is going to happen. Um, in fact, I don't believe it can because of the passages where it says that some um, that the eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, which is the very passage um, that you were talking about, Susan. All right. So um, thank you for that. And um, when you guys are doing this, if you could give me the references, I'll take a look at it. So I'm not sure exactly where it speaks of the chaff being bound up first, which is what people use, but I, I, it does say that. And the, but, but it cannot be used to make a statement like that. All right. So, uh, Cara Sanchez has a question. She says, my eight-year-old granddaughter, Ava, is watching and would like to know how the church started. Thank you, Ava. I appreciate that. Uh, the church started by Jesus. So, Jesus told Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And he's talking about himself. He was in a place called Caesarea Philippi, where there was a great rock outcropping there. And Peter's name means rock, but his name is is pet uh, is is Peter in the Greek being rock, but it's not Petra, which he says on this Petra, which is bedstone, I will build my rock. And Jesus said 
that he was going to create the church and the gates of hell were not going to prevail against it. Now, the gates of hell, and I'm assuming that he's using the word Gehenna there. I'd love to, I would love to look that up, but it means the grave or it means the place of the dead and that we are going to rescue people out of, of, of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And that's the goal of the church. That's what a church is supposed to do. That's our main call. A lot of times we lose focus as to what we're going to do. We begin to think that church is for us, like instead of reaching out to the lost. We're to gather together. We're to grow in Christ. We're to learn what Jesus said and walk in them but we're to go out and make disciples of all nations, the gates of hell not prevailing against us. And I'm afraid, um, Ava, the really good question, I'm afraid that a lot of people have lost the purpose of the church. There are certainly secondary things that the church does, but they are secondary things. The first thing is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do the things that Jesus commanded them to do. That's what we are supposed to do. That's what makes up a church. Let's just say that there was a, a church that was meeting in a house. They had 20 people that met there, um, and they all gathered together, kids and adults. They sang a few songs. They looked at what Jesus said, talked about what to make it right. They prayed for people who didn't know Christ around them to be able to share with them. And maybe there's a person there that was a friend and a visitor, and so they asked if they'd ever given their lives to Jesus, if they've ever received him as their, as their Lord and Savior. They hadn't, so they prayed, so they watered, they planted, and God added the increase. And so that's the purpose of the church. Doesn't matter how small or how big it is, we get, we get sidetracked into doing all kinds of other things in the church that go beyond what our main call is. I'm not saying that's bad, I'm just saying we have to really believe that our call is those who are lost and those who are perishing. So, um, yeah, V said, V's talking about um, um, the free will aspect of your question. So, your question was, why couldn't God have given free will to people up in heaven? So, made a, made a perfect heaven and earth and then given them free will. And because there would not have been a choice, and I, and I think I said that, but maybe I just didn't clarify it enough, because there wouldn't have been a choice. Your choice would have been, I'm going to love God and all this goodness or I'm going to, you know, walk away from him, but you're already in his presence. You already love him. You already are there. So is God going to create men not loving God, putting them in that perfect environment of loving them without giving them a choice? The Bible says that men love darkness. That's the reason that they walk away from God. And God chose not to do it this way. And that's why I said that God says, my ways are as high above your ways as the heavens are above the earth. So even though you and me, V, might go, well, I would do it another way. God says, this is the way that I chose to do it. And he has given us free will in the confines of us being able to pursue darkness. And when we see that darkness is destructive and that, that times of refreshing come from the presence of God and we turn away from that darkness and into his light. We are making a decision to love him and this is something that blesses God. All right, so again, you're welcome, V. If you have any more questions, please ask a follow-up on that, all right? I, um, I appreciate that. And uh, we have a question from Renee. Renee says, 
Question, I have a friend that claims she is a Christian, but I'm kind of confused because she has saints made up, made up, made out of stone. I hold it close to the heart and holds it close to the heart. Is she saved? What does the Bible say about something like this? Thank you, Pastor Robert. So I'm going to assume that we're talking about someone who is a Catholic. Catholics have everything they need to be saved. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They believe that they have to repent. They can have a relationship with God. But they also have the traditions that have brought in a lot of things that are wrong. Praying to Mary. I believe that Mary would be upset with the way that people are praying to her. She's not omnipresent. She can't hear all of your prayers. Praying to saints. Um, this is something that is very dangerous and that I would say the Bible tells us not to talk to the dead. Now, I know that was through necromancy and it was a sorcery that was being involved when people were talking to the, talking to the dead. But remember that in the very end, and we'll talk about this tonight, very end of the book of Revelation, woe to those who add to the words of this book and woe to those who take away from it. So if they're adding saying that God wants us to pray to saints, which is what I assume you're talking about here, because if you're talking about idols, then we got a whole lot, another problem, Renee. Um, then this is something that I believe needs to be, that God needs to see, to work in their heart and help them to see that things are wrong. So this is what happens when we get saved. It doesn't mean we all of a sudden have all the knowledge that we need to have. And when someone gets saved who is a Catholic, I'm very patient with them, knowing that God begins to work in them. I remember one gal who would walk up to me after church and she would regularly say, I really enjoyed here and I love the word, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Catholic and I'll always be a Catholic and I'm just coming here because of the Bible study. And I'd say, okay, all right, appreciate you here. By the way, we believe that you can be Catholic and be saved. I would talk to her about, have you made a commitment to Christ? Are you trusting in the sacraments instead of Christ? Um, about a year later, she came up and she said, um, I'm no longer a Catholic. God had revealed to her the certain things that were wrong. Now, might God cause somebody to be saved, to see the things that are wrong and to stay in the Catholic Church? Maybe. God can do that. God can do whatever he wants to do. But I do believe this is problematic. And um, yeah, saints made out of stone. I mean, it's, 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 it sounds a like idols, doesn't it, Renee? and praying and believing that they can bless you and that certain ones have certain other aspects. All right, so thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate your question, Renee. If you want to clarify that then uh, or have a follow-up, I would love to be able to take that. We have a question uh, from Keith, a follow-up, Empress Kimberly. I take it, Keith, that our Facebook isn't working. I saw today when I set up this Q&A, that there were some statements about Facebook. And um, so they changed things a lot. So Keith is taking probably ones from Facebook and bring him over here. A follow-up, uh, Kempress Emberly, demons are dis disembodied spirits and not angels. They are different, right? Nephilim. Ah, so here's, here's the theory. Empress Kimberly. Uh, so in Ephesians 5, it tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers and a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. What's interesting is that you rarely see demon possession in the Old Testament. You see it with Saul. You see it with Nebuchadnezzar. How's that for a color of a glass, by the way? You see it with Nebuchadnezzar, but you don't see any exorcists in the Old Testament. No demons are being cast out. And so the, the different theories that are out there, and there may be some other theories that are out there, but the different theories that are out there, uh, the one that is the traditional view is that a third of the angels fell and they were ranked like heavenly angels are ranked. Like the great prince, it says in Daniel chapter 12, Michael stood up the prince over the people of Israel. So Michael is the prince of the nation of Israel. And then he, um, and then Gabriel was going to fight the prince of peace and the prince of Persia. So it seems like there are demons over nations. Then there are demons that are our spiritual hosts of wickedness. So we have principalities. So you see, Michael is a prince, um, the prince of Persia, the principalities. They're, I think, the highest ranking angels or demons. Now, if they were a high ranking angel, then they fell and they're a high ranking demon. And then there's powers. And I think that we could do a search on powers and we could start to see where there is demonic aspects of powers and then spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. They are, the traditional view is that they are fallen angels. I believe that's the case. Now, the second thought is that the sons of God in Genesis 6 saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and married them. So now you have angels marrying them. Jesus said that angels don't get married in the New Testament. So this has to be maybe some kind of a possession. If this is angels, they would be possessing men to be able to take them as wives. And then there was wickedness on the earth and then there were the Nephilim. Later on, the Rephidim, the giants. We have Og, who was a giant in Bashan, and Moses fought against him. Uh, we have, of course, Goliath. We have Goliath's um, five brothers. I think there were five. Maybe there's five total. Um, there's other uh, giants that are talked about in the Bible. And it says that they were around before the flood and after the flood. We also know that there are angels that didn't keep their proper abode home and God keeps them in chains. So if demons can possess men and then have, have a woman as a wife, have a child with them, change them genetically to be able to have children and create Nephilim, then God bound, they, they crossed the line. They didn't keep their proper abode. And now God keeps them in chains. And so the idea was that there were several, you know, many Nephilim in the world and the flood came and destroyed them. But when, the, when they got destroyed, their souls go on living forever and there, because they're not human, and they're the, 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 the demons. Here's the thing, though, is we believe that after death, 
the soul of a human goes on as well. But the soul of a human is kept in the grave, the shadowy, shadowy underworld of the grave, Luke 16. So why would God allow the spirits of the Nephilim to roam on the earth as demons if their bodies are dead and gone, but their souls aren't? So I don't think that demons are the Nephilim. Plus, there would have to be so many of them, really, when we know that there are many angels that fell and a third of them fell, there would have to be so many Nephilim when it seems like the Nephilim were something that was rare. At least that's the idea. Now, the whole earth is covered in violence. That's the reason that God destroys them. God doesn't just destroy them because of the Nephilim, but because of the wickedness that's on the earth and the violence of men. Think about how violent the earth is today and how God judged Noah's world and how God can judge today. So, um, you, you can... It's not heresy to believe that the Nephilim produced giants and their souls became the demons. Demons. I just don't know that there's enough in Scripture to be able to try to back that up. That's like a theory that someone has. When we do know that there are fallen angels. And so these fallen angels seem to be this host of demonic spirits. All right, so thank you for your question, um, Empress Kimberly. I appreciate that. I know you're probably having trouble logging in um, through Facebook, but if you have a question, I mean, if you have more than that, you can expound on that. Um, and so, oh, Empress Kimberly, here you are. It says, Pastor Alan Nolan did a teaching on the armor of God and said the demons are fallen, are not fallen angels, disembodied spirits from the Nephilim thoughts. Yeah, I disagree with him. All right. But there's a lot of things that I disagree. I, I, I like um, Pastor Allen, but I disagree with him on a lot of things. And um, one of them that would be that these are disembodied Nephilim. And I would love to see him make his case for it. Because a lot of times it's really easy to say something, but it's a lot harder to actually make a case for it. And um, if, um, if, if he's going to go on and say that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that isn't in a teaching on um, the, the um, what do they call them now? The, the UFOs, whatever the new initials are for the UFOs. Uh, because that's what you're hearing a lot of people today that are talking about that the, the UFOs that they've been seeing and talking about are in, the, uh, in another realm and that they are the, um, they are the world of, the, of, the, of demons, which are Nephilim and not fallen angels. I think we can make a pretty good case that there were a good fallen number of angels. And so I don't think that you can make a case. It's just like a theory. And a theory is not good to try to teach as, as fact. I mean, we just saw in the book of Revelation, it said, do not add to the scriptures nor take away from here. And so we want to be able to build our cases based on what the Bible says. That's what we talk about here all the time, right? That uh, we want to approach the Bible to find out what it says so I can know what to believe rather than to believe something and go to the Bible to try to find evidence uh, for what I believe. All right. So thank you very much, um, Kimberly. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. 
Okay, so um, we have a, another question here from V. V, uh, good to have you here with us again today. Um, we've thoroughly studied the New Testament, which apps, um, which is absolutely fabulous. Will Calvary Chapel study a book like Kings or Samuel or Old Testament sometime? Yes, uh, we will. In fact, I think that we're going to start the book of Nehemiah fairly soon. There might be a couple of other things that I want to do in between Revelation and whatever book we start, um, but it's been a while since we've been in the book of Nehemiah. I want to go back and look it up. Also, I would like to study uh, 2 Kings. Um, we did 1 Kings a while ago prior to COVID, and I would like us to do 2 Kings, which would be a study of the life of David. All right? So, um, and I, I think the study of the life of David is phenomenal. And well, we've, we've made our way through recently, starting in Genesis, going all the way through um, Judges and 1 Samuel. And we're in 2 Samuel now. We just haven't been there in a while. All right. Thank you, V. I appreciate that. Yeah, our commitment is to teach all the way through the Bible. And um, I also want to start to go back and catch some more of the Psalms. Again, pre-COVID, we used to do that in between um, books of the Bible. We would take a few of the Psalms and talk about those. And so we will be looking, uh, looking at those. Uh, so this concludes our Q&A for today. Good to have you guys with us. Uh, and um, remember that this is a supplement of the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of Tucson. And so if you are at a study and you have questions, write down your questions, then you can come and ask them here. Or if you're watching a video online and you have questions about that video, either ours or someone else's, like you know, Pastor Alan Nolan was brought up here, um, and you have questions about those videos, um, then I would love to do it. Um, Kimberly, I'd love to know the title of the message uh, that Pastor Alan Nolan taught that in. I'd love to go back and just kind of look it up if I have some time to be able to see about that. Um, but if you have any questions, then you can submit those questions, <coughs> whatever, whatever they are, and can talk about them. Um, stay close to Christ. We have been saved to love him. And when Jesus was asked, what's the most important of all of the commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we're to, we're to continue to love him. Not only that, we want to be used by him to touch people's hearts to be drawn into a deep relationship with him, but we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We are filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth to bring people to Christ. And our commission, when we think about our commission, what is our commission? A soldier is commissioned to do something specifically. We have a commission to go out and make disciples of all nations, not to make converts, but disciples of all nations. That's why we teach them to do all the things the Bible says and see them get baptized. And then they go out and plant and seed and they become light and salt in the world around them. This is, this is our initial call. And may you live your life in front of people that way. May you have a passion for souls. May you really care about the people that are around you who are going to die and be separated from God forever and their ultimate place is in the, in the lake of fire. May you really understand that and care for them. And because of that, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness for him to do the work that he's called you to do. 
All right. So thank you very much, you guys. I appreciate you. Love you. Um, I am out. We got a service that's going to be starting in about an hour. We'll see you later on. Uh, God bless you.